passage through all these four Sundays of Advent. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, first seven verses, and as you may know, we're unpacking uh, just the names that are given to the Messiah, the names of Jesus, the titles of the Messiah, of Jesus, that we find towards the end of verse 6. So, uh, Isaiah 9. And uh, just as I read it through again, uh, just um, it's just wonderful that um, Isaiah's writing in the midst of a terrible time for the nation of Israel. They're facing imminent disaster. And yet Isaiah has this great message of hope that although in the past things have been bad, in the future they're going to be more glorious than ever. So it's a very contemporary message for us in, in our day that even though in the, the past things may have been difficult, we have a glorious future to look forward to. So Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Let's um, pray for a moment. Father, thank you once again uh, for your words and thank you once again for your promises which are timeless, which are faithful and true. May our hearts and minds be opened this morning to hear from your word, to learn what it is you want to teach us this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we are um, uh, unpacking Everlasting Father. Uh, one of my favourite um, Christmas stories, which if you're following the um, turn the page Advent calendar. It's behind one of the doors next week, I think. But it's one of my famous favourite Christmas stories, and it's about a widow who lived on the Balmoral estate during the time of Queen Victoria. And this um, poor widow had obviously she'd lost her husband. She fell on hard times. Uh, she was struggling to make ends meet. And one Christmas, she was. Alone in her cottage without any food and shivering in the cold because she had no coal to burn on her fire. And one evening as she sat in the dark, uh, there's a knock on the door. 
and she thinks it is the debt collectors come to collect what they're owed and uh, obviously she's uh, worried about being evicted and so she doesn't get up and answer the door because she thinks well I've got I've got nothing to give them and then she waits a few minutes and there's a second knock on the door and again she sits quietly she doesn't get up she doesn't move uh, she thinks well hopefully they'll just they'll think there's no one here they'll just go away a third knock comes on the door and she realizes that they're not going to wait she can't ignore it so she gets up and she goes to the door, she opens the door, and to her astonishment, there is a royal footman standing outside the door with a basket full of provisions. And he walks into her cottage and she puts this basket um, full of provisions down on her kitchen table and then she, he goes back outside and she can see outside uh, there, there's a sack of coal that he's about to bring in. And just as she's getting her head around this, she realises that there is a carriage outside. And there's someone inside the carriage and the window of the carriage is, is pulled down and lo and behold, in the carriage is Queen Victoria herself. And the widow is, is, is taken aback that Queen Victoria herself has come to her cottage and Victoria is grieving her the loss of Alba. And so Victoria talks to the poor widow and comforts her on the loss of her husband because she understands what she is going through. And then when the footman has finished carrying all the things into the house, he, the window is, is lifted back up and, and off the carriage goes. And to the end of her life, the widow would often tell this story. But the part about it that she would always emphasise was not the fact that she had been given gifts, that she'd been given provisions, she'd been given coal for her fire. The thing that always had astonished her and the part of the story that she would always emphasise was... The queen came in person. The queen came herself. She didn't just send. She could have just sent the footman. But she didn't. She came herself. And that's the heart of the Christmas story. Is that God himself comes. Now Isaiah when he's um, writing his prophecy. Is writing about this child. This son who is to be born. And he's trying to express, express the fact that this child who's going to come in the future is going to be extraordinary. He's not going to just be a, a, you know, a special human being. In the time of Jesus, the expectation was that this Messiah who was to come was, was, was going to be one like uh, King David, was going to be another King David, was going to be another wonderful warrior king who would lead his people into victory. But Isaiah is trying to express the fact that, well, yes, he is going to be on the throne of King David, but it's going to be more than King David. He's going to be an ex- not just an ordinary human being. Well, how do you do that in a time when People are, have barely got their head around the idea of monotheism, the idea that there is one supreme God, much less Trinitarianism, that this one God is expressed in three persons. The people of the Old Testament haven't really understood any of that. So how do you express that this child is going to be more than just another King David, more than just a human being? Well, you express it by using this phrase, everlasting father. It seems like a kind of paradox that he says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and one of his titles is Everlasting Father. How, how, can, a, how, can, a, how can a child, how can a son be Everlasting Father? Well, it's the way that you describe 
someone who is going to be more than human. That actually, this child to come will be God himself. This Messiah will not just be another prophet, not just another messenger, not another forerunner. This will be God himself. It's the uniqueness of the Christian faith that God himself came and lived as a human being. And that's the heart of the heart of the gospel. And that's what the New Testament writers came to understand and what they expressed. We looked at, uh, uh, just refresh our memories, a couple of verses that we looked at last Sunday, the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is uh, our Jesus. Uh, Paul writing to the Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. Uh, Writer to the Hebrews begins his book. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Isaiah kind of expresses it as well as he can, that this child to come will be everlasting father. The New Testament writers, those who lived with Jesus and experienced his life and watched what he said and watched what he did, became utterly convinced that they were walking with the living God. That this was God in their midst. And so in Jesus we see the complete character of God. Remember um, last Sunday we looked at a passage in uh, Exodus. uh, Exodus um, 32 and 33 where Moses is leading the people of God out of slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And as you will remember uh, Moses goes up um, the mountain to be given the Ten Commandments. And while he's on top of the mountain the people of God are busy um, uh, committing adultery down at the bottom. They get, you know, they're so impatient, they um, create a calf from gold and begin to worship this calf, and then Moses comes down in dismay. And I read a, a few verses last Sunday that reminded us of the fact that God says, well, uh, as you go on this journey into freedom in the promised land, I'll send an angel ahead of you. And God says, I won't go with you because you are stiff-necked. You're a stiff-necked people. I might destroy you on the way. He says, you're so rebellious, it would be better for me if I don't actually come with you. And Moses says, but if you don't come with us, what's the point in going? Because the thing that characterises the people of God is that God himself dwells in our midst. Most religious systems work on the basis that if you work hard enough and believe enough and behave enough and do all the right things then you may end up being allowed and being permitted to dwell in the presence of God. One day, when you go to heaven or paradise or or whatever, that's what you look forward to. From the very beginning, the God of the Bible says, actually, no, I want to come and dwell with you. 
I want to come and dwell with you. I want to be in your midst. And so when Moses says to, uh, you know, Moses says, well, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up. We don't want to go without you. Because in verse 14 of, verse, of chapter 33 of Exodus, the Lord has said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's the heart of, the, of Christianity. It's the heart of the gospel message that God dwells with us. And when he dwells with us, he gives us rest. Uh, in uh, chapter 34 of Exodus, um, God reveals his character to Moses. If God is going to dwell with us, uh, well, what is he going to be like? Well, God tells us. Chapter 34, verse 6. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. He's a God of, he's compassionate, he's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. But he's also a God of justice, so he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. That's the character of God. And you will know that in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus tells a parable about the character of God, about a father who has two sons and the younger son rebels against his father, rejects him, wishes him dead, says, I want my inheritance now. I want to leave. I want to go and do my own thing. The younger son goes off. He does his own thing. He makes a complete mess. And then he thinks, well, maybe my father will have me back as a servant. I can't expect to go back as a son uh, having done what I've done, but maybe I can go back as a servant because I know even the, the servants have plenty to eat and here am I starving to death. So he, uh, he sort of crawls his way back to his father and at the heart of the story is the character of God and Luke writes in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's our God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. The father in the parable welcomes his son back, has extraordinary compassion. That's the character of God. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. Now, there's an episode in John's gospel, uh, John chapter eight, which is so it's so extraordinary and in a way it's so embarrassing that a lot of the early uh, early manuscripts of John's gospel leave it out uh, because it's so uh, it's so sort of mind-blowing it's, all, it's almost too embarrassing um, it's a story uh, an episode about a woman who has been caught in adultery by the religious rulers and they drag this poor woman in front of the crowd and in front of Jesus and they point the finger at her and they say teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say? What do you say? They use it as a trap. They're trying to, they're trying to catch him out. And Jesus answers with extraordinary compassion and wisdom. He says, if any one of you is without sin, well, you can throw the first stone. In other words, don't, don't look at her sin. Uh, look at your own sin. Look at your own lives. Don't be so quick 
to judge and condemn others uh, when you're no better. And the crowd um, drift away. Uh, Jesus says to her, says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the, the character of God that Moses saw in Exodus 34. A God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is, this is why the gospel writers became convinced that they were walking with the living God as they walked with Jesus. Because they see the character of God in the character of Jesus. Everything that they've learnt about God the Father, this everlasting Father, they see it in flesh and blood in front of their eyes. Jesus has this extraordinary compassion, but it's compassion that leads to change. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. The two things go together. Yes, God is a God of compassion, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. He invites us into relationship with him. He welcomes us. But if we're welcomed by him, we must change. We will inevitably change. Because you can't spend time in the presence of a holy God and stay the same. Uh, Jesus came the first time in order to rescue us from condemnation. Invite us into relationship with him. So in Jesus we see the character of God. God in flesh and blood. What does it mean for us? Two, two particular things that flow out of the fact that Jesus is God. Fully human and fully divine. The first thing is that Jesus is the only way to God. The only way to the Father. There is a gulf between us and God. An extraordinary gulf between a God who is utterly holy and utterly righteous and us who are not. And we, we lose sight of that gulf at our peril. Too many people think, uh, well, I'll be okay because I live a good enough life. I'll be okay because as long as I live a good enough life, that'll be fine. Surely that'll get me across the line. That underestimates the gulf that exists between us. It's like thinking you can cross the Atlantic on a plank of wood and a teaspoon. You are not going to make it. There is absolutely no way you can bridge this gulf. It is only God who could bridge it by coming the other way. And that's why God had to come himself. That's why he came in human form as Jesus, because it was the only way for us to be reconciled with him. Jesus says in John's Gospel, John 14, you know this verse, it's, I'm staring at it, it's, it's on the wall of the chapel behind me. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is, this is the revelation of God. You see, if Jesus is fully human and fully divine, then when we read those words, this is God speaking. This is God saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We, we live in, a, in an age now where to, to preach that, to proclaim that, to stand on that, is becoming unacceptable in our culture. But if these are the words of God, then how can we not proclaim them? 
How can we be ashamed of them? How can we not say, well, this is, this is the truth? Because this is what God says. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved. No other name. Why no other name? Because Jesus is the name of God. No other name. Jesus is the only way to God. The second thing is that we can be sure that Jesus will keep his promises. If Jesus has made a promise to us, we can be certain that he will keep it because it is God making his promises to us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8, uh, we read this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Why? Because he's fully divine. He is God and God never changes. God is utterly consistent. So if God has made a promise to us, it is 100% reliable. A couple of verses earlier in Hebrews 13 verse 5, we read, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you, never Will I forsake you? Jesus is an utterly reliable friend. Sometimes I think we find that difficult to um, come to terms with or or get our head around, but because we are used to, uh, we're used to people not being as reliable as Jesus is. Uh, I look back to my, um, I spent 10 years at boarding school and much of my time at boarding school was characterised by friends who were unreliable and who were fickle and who one day could be very uh, you know very lovely and very friendly and then the next day be the complete opposite and I spent 10 years in that environment and it kind of taught me to always be uh, suspicious and questioning about friendship that was offered because I, I kind of learned over those 10 years that it might not be as reliable as it seems Uh, They might be saying that today, but tomorrow they'll be saying the complete opposite. So don't put too much trust in what they see. Maybe enjoy it in the moment, but always be prepared for the moment when it will be whisked away. And so when I became a Christian, um, it's taken me a long, long time. It's still taking me a long, long time to, to understand that Jesus isn't like that. Jesus will never withdraw his love and his compassion and his Friendship. He won't say one thing one day and then not be like that the next day because he is God and God isn't like that. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. So four, just four brief um, uh, things that flow out of understanding that Jesus is utterly divine. In Jesus, we see the character of the everlasting Father. Four things that should excite us, four pieces of good news that we should be excited to share with those around us. Number one, our joy will be eternal because Jesus is eternal. Psalm 16 verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's our certain hope. 
That's the joy that we have in Jesus that we are going to have for eternity. You've made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Absolutely no doubt about it. That's the eternity that we're looking forward to. Number two, our glory will be eternal. We're looking forward to a glorious future. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How can we be confident of that? Well, we can be confident of that because we see it expressed in the life of Jesus, who went to the cross and died for us and then rose to eternal life and ascended to his father. That's what has changed Paul's life. That's why he writes these things. And he, uh, he, he writes, he's sort of underestimating things, really. He, he writes about our light, and pro- our light and momentary troubles at a time when Christians are being rounded up and imprisoned and thrown to the lions. Uh, light and momentary troubles. But he says, compared with those things, Jesus is achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. In this life, there will be troubles. Especially if you choose to follow Jesus. Uh, If you don't follow Jesus, you'll have troubles. If you do follow Jesus, you'll have troubles. But if you follow Jesus, you'll also have hope. An eternal hope. And a certain hope. And the promise that you are looking forward to a glory that is way beyond any troubles you may experience in this life. Our joy will be eternal. Our glory will be eternal. God's love and goodness will be eternal are eternal and we'll enjoy them forever. Uh, Jeremiah verse um, chapter 31 verse 3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I've drawn you with loving kindness. Um, Why are we here this morning? Why are you joining with us online? Well, hopefully because you've experienced the love of God and responded to that love by coming to him and loving him in return. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 27 reads, The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath are the everlasting arms. They are never going to let you go. They are never going to drop you. They are always going to be there. That's what the everlasting father does, is he puts his everlasting arms around you. Fourthly, finally, our salvation will be eternal. Our salvation will be eternal. It is um, Jesus' promise, and what Jesus did for us on the cross is, it's a cast iron guarantee. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Again, the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. If we put our trust in Jesus, we are absolutely guaranteed eternal life with him. He did the work for us on the cross. Uh, John's Gospel Uh, Draw to a close with this. John chapter 10, verse 28. This is the promise of Jesus. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. 
I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So this Jesus whose birth we are preparing to celebrate, this Jesus was and is the Messiah. He is the wonderful counsellor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is God. Fully human, fully God. We can be utterly trusting in the promises that he makes to us. The only question that um, that ever remains is, is how do we respond to this revelation of God? How do we respond to this extraordinary love that he has shown us? Well, the most wonderful thing that we can do is to respond by uh, loving him in return, by accepting him as our saviour. We have one more title to explore, which we'll explore next Sunday during our carol service, which is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Uh, and that's what we find when we do respond to him, when we do accept him, uh, we find a peace, a peace that passes understanding. And we will uh, unpack that next week. But for now, let's just take a few moments uh, to respond and uh, just to reflect on this Jesus who is our God. And that everything that we understand about the love and the compassion and the grace of, of God, our Father, we see in Jesus. And when we think of Jesus on the cross... Uh, well, that was God expressing his love for us. And when we read of the promises of Jesus, those are the promises of God. So, Father, thank you. Thank you once again this morning for this opportunity to be reminded of, of who you are, who you truly are. The extraordinary love that you've shown us. And Father, wherever we are this morning, whether we're um, in person in the chapel, whether we're watching online, Father, would you come to us by your Holy Spirit and show us the truth of these things. May they truly register in our hearts and minds. Give us fresh revelation of your love for us today. Come, Holy Spirit, move amongst us. Have your way with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, thank you that you are a God of a God of justice, a God who cares about